Amen. Take your Bible tonight. It's hard to figure out how to wrap this up. But let me make this comment. Um, it's been alluded to, joked about, that Susan writes some of my messages. I just want to say that that one last night, on Bar- she wrote that one because I'm not claiming it. I don't know. But uh, Psalm 23, I'm trying to get her to help me rewrite it. And she's, But uh, Psalm 23 tonight, very famous psalm. I mean, it's famous. It gets recited at funerals week after week. Kind of sells it short, though, because there's a lot of good stuff in it. We'll read it. Psalm 23, the Bible says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a pretty good deal if you could have uh, goodness and mercy following you all the days of your life. And then when life's over, you get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. That don't mean there won't be some bumps in the road. Amen. But won't anything bump you off the road. And if you're saved, you're going to end up in the right place. Amen. Let's just pray now, and I'm going to look at the first three verses tonight. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for all those that have come. Thank you for the new baby. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, God, to us. There are requests. There are needs. There's folks that couldn't be here that would like to be. There's folks that should be here for some reason or not. That's not my call. I just pray, God, that you never let us go. Pray, God, that you just continue to bear witness, to convict our spirit, to do right for your name's sake. Pray you bless the service tonight. Pray you give me wisdom, say what you want said. Pray the Holy Spirit would be pleased. Lord, I love you tonight. If there's anybody in here tonight that's not saved, pray you'd save them while you can. Pray they'd let you. You can. Pray they'd let you. I love you. Tonight, I'm never going to get tired of saying it, and I pray this all in Jesus Christ's name, amen and amen. So this is the psalm. David wrote this, and it begins with these words. Verse 1, it said this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I just want to remind you tonight, In 2 Samuel chapter 23, David is referred to as the sweet psalmist of Israel. He got a lot of things this David didn't get. One of them was musical ability, musical talent. And uh, of course, we've been proving all week that I didn't get any. But I'd just like to say for those of you that have, thank you for using it for the Lord. If there's anything we do and and I do is try to encourage people to use that gift because if you've got any music in you, whether it's singing or playing an instrument, it came from God. Now the devil wants it and the devil will pervert it and the devil will use it to bring glory to something besides uh, the one that music was originally designed to glorify. Amen. I bought, since last August, I bought three cellos. I don't even know which side of the cello to play. Okay, that's a little bit of a stretch. But, uh, but I try to encourage other people. Amen. My wife sold her cello 10, 15 years ago to put the money in a building project for a church. Put the money in a building fund because we're traveling all the time. And uh, so she gave that up. And, uh, and uh, I overheard her say last August that, you know, sometimes I just wish I wouldn't have sold that cello. And because now that there's room in the bus because we got rid of all them kids. 
uh, she kind of thought she'd like to have it back. Well, I overheard that. She didn't say it to me. And, uh, but I made a couple of phone calls because I know who bought it. It was uh, purchased by a young man at the church. And I called him up. I said, hey, you still got that cello? Oh, yes, I love that cello. That is just such a blessing. I came from your wife. I said, all right, forget all this sentimental stuff. Uh, I need it back. So how much you want? Buy yourself another cello. And he went, uh, but, but, uh, Brother Spurgeon, I'll think about it. I said, no, I already prayed about it. I need that cello back. We're leaving. This is Saturday night. We're leaving on Monday. I need it. <laughs> and he went, well, I'll see what I can. No, no, just bring it over after church tomorrow night. And he went to a different church. I said, I need it tomorrow night. And he came. I gave him more than he paid for it. But she wanted it. I got it. Amen. Yeah. Then my granddaughter, one of my granddaughters, she said, oh, I love playing grandma's cello. I wish I had a cello. She didn't say that to me. They don't say nothing around me. But I'll tell you what, man, we tracked one down. Where'd we go for that one? We went north. But the other granddaughter, she looked like she'd like we went to Columbus and bought. I'm going, I haven't bought a musical instrument in 69 years. And now I bought three in just the last couple of months. Well, just because I didn't get any talent, musical talent, doesn't mean I can't encourage others. David was referred to as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now, I don't really relate to that, but the next one, he was the hero of the Valley of Elah. He was a warrior. I like that, too. That was 1 Samuel 17. That's David. And, uh, and then in 1 Samuel 18, he's referred to as the general who'd slain his ten thousands. Amen? Uh, I guarantee you Saul didn't like that. Because when they're coming back in from battle, the, the, the girls that were singing, the ladies, whatever, that went, uh, Saul the king had slain his thousands. And he's all, that's right, I'm a mighty warrior. And David is ten thousands. Boy, I, I know what kind of look he got. Years and years ago, uh, we were first starting out, we had a family from our church uh, stationed at Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas. They're going to a church, and we didn't have a lot of meetings then. And, uh, and they said, and they called and said, oh, uh, we'd love to have you come to our church. And I said, well, it's a long way. If I ever get in the area, uh, uh, we'll see if we can set something up. And so we were going to be in Amarillo. So that's only a 1,000 miles. That's close. And so we set it up, and I drove a diesel bus that got five miles to the gallon, a thousand miles, and there's a reason I'm telling you those details, to go to this church. We'd never been there. We didn't know them, but we knew this family. And uh, I was supposed to do Sunday school Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I did Sunday school, but the Sunday school guy, he, was, he got upset because they bust in all these gang kids, I mean, they were sending out buses as one of them deals. And they brought in a bunch of gang kids, and he couldn't keep their attention, and he was frustrated, and he was mad, and he was doing his duty, but he didn't have a heart for the people that he was trying to minister to. He had, you know, the, you know, the, the, the handkerchief, that's the, you know, just right, and the Italian shoes, and he's trying to relate to these people with tattoos on their faces, and, and they're looking at him like he's from another planet, and he didn't like them. And, uh, but I, they gave that Sunday school class to me. And I'm thinking, man, this is my crowd, man. This is dopers and drunks and criminals. And I just got down there, and I bragged on Jesus Christ for about 45 minutes. They responded to me. Amen. We had a great rapport. His jealousy got the best of him. He went and told his father-in-law, who was the pastor, yeah, I don't know what he said, but when we got into the main service, and there's a couple hundred people there, and I'm supposed to preach, and he said this. He says, uh, uh, I have changed my mind, and Brother Spurgeon will not be preaching this morning. You could feel the oxygen sucked out of the room. I'm serious. And after he got done preaching, I understood why. <laughs> Amen. But he said this. He said, Brother Spurgeon will preach tonight, and, but I want to have him take about three minutes 
and, and tell the church everything God done for him. <laughs> I'm not happy right now. I just drove all this way. And, uh, and uh, I stood up and I said, I couldn't tell you everything God done for me since I got up this morning in three minutes. And I sat back down. I got to preach that night. It was a little stiff, but I loosened them up. I stood in the pub and I said, wait a minute, I must be in the wrong place. Do I need to go outside and see if this is really a Baptist church because this place is, reminds me of a funeral home. And, yeah, I know I wasn't as eloquent back then as I am now. <laughs> and they loosened up a little bit before it was over, man. People were saying amen. We should, we, next time we should try that here. No, people were getting excited a little bit. And, uh, and, uh, and when it's all over, and I hate it, and I'm glad you don't do this. I hope that your successor doesn't do this either. Um, uh, the pastor says, uh, Brother Spurgeon, please go stand by the back door so that people can shake your hand on the way out. I hate that. Because here's why. Because you're preaching. You know you made people mad. You know people are not happy about what you know people were sleeping. You know people weren't paying attention. You see the women that are pinching their kids so they got an excuse to leave, start crying, don't they? I see it, Tanya. You're thinking about it. Don't you do it. Amen. And then you're, and this happens in some churches. Thank goodness, not a lot. But uh, you'll be standing there, and they'll walk by and say, "Good message." And I'm thinking, "You stinking liar! You hated every minute of it." <coughs> we make people lie. Here we are standing at the back door, and this lady, and the preacher's standing there, and this lady, come nice lady, she goes, "Brother Spurgeon, I just want to thank you for that message." We haven't had preaching like that here in years. <laughs> Before I even looked, I could feel it. Man, them eyes boring a hole in his eye. And I turned and looked at that pastor, and he was staring at me, and he was not happy. So that's why I know how, how David felt when they said that, because I know Saul was unhappy. Do I need to mention that I never got invited back there? I really enjoy mentioning that that guy got in trouble and I've been going back to a church three blocks from there for the last 15 years. And they're not in the ministry and we still are. Praise the Lord. So, <laughs> but I said, let's say this. I said some of that to say this probably. Um, before David was known for his musical talents, before he was known as the warrior that faced off Goliath, and before he was a successful general, let alone the king of Israel, before all that, he was a shepherd. It says in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 34, and this one, him, him and Saul are discussing David who volunteered to go out there and face Goliath when no one else would. And David has been told that he's no match for Goliath. He was a man of war from his youth. And David gives his qualifications in verse 34, 1 Samuel 17. And he says, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Now David was a shepherd. He was in charge of, of protecting those sheep. Amen. And he took his job seriously, and in the course of him explaining all that, he went after that lion and that bear, and he rescued that lamb. Now listen, personally, I would like to think that I take my job seriously, and I would like to think that if I was a shepherd in charge of keeping it was his father's sheep, and if I was supposed to protect them, and uh, a lion or a bear came near, and I'm there with that big old staff, and that's a formidable weapon, it is. I would like to think and that I would get between uh, that adversary and my charge and do my best to protect them. But I'm going to admit this. If a lion or a bear actually made it into the flock and got a lamb in its mouth. You know, I'm goodbye to that lamb. I would do my best to protect the rest of them. 
but I don't see myself going after it. <laughs> but David did. He is a shepherd. He took it seriously. He knew about sheep. Here's what I might... Uh, oh, here's what I know about sheep. They're not the brightest animal God ever created. Uh, it's been said they're pound for pound the dumbest animal God ever created. Uh, they're equipped with zero nat. We got any sheep people in here? Good for you. You know, say amen if I tell the truth. Man, I was there for a second. I was afraid he wouldn't. <laughs> A sheep is equipped with zero natural defenses. Nothing. Thank you so much. I'll pay you later for coming here. And, uh, and David knew that sheep needed a shepherd to protect them. Amen. And now, the Bible refers to people as sheep. It says this, and the Lord said it in Mark chap Matthew chapter 9, and verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And it says this in John chapter 10 that he, Jesus Christ, is the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for, his, for the sheep. And in verse 27 there in John chapter 10, he said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Amen. So all that tells me that when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, he knew he personally would be less likely to go astray with his shepherd. He knew the Lord... And he was a man of character. Yes, he messed up. He knew the Lord could take better care of him than he could take care of himself. And I say, let's say this, uh, because some of God's people haven't figured that out yet. Say, so what are you talking about? Listen, I'm in church somewhere every week, and I preach to pews that are empty because uh, the people that used to sit there got blindsided by something they never saw coming. You know, I saw a bumper sticker on a license plate on a car years ago and said, God is my co-pilot. And I didn't know what that meant. You know, I wasn't saved then. Um, but I'm here to tell you tonight, God is not your co-pilot. God will not be your co-pilot. But I'll tell you this. God is enough of a, of a gentleman that if you decide to take the wheel, take the reins, and you get determined that you're going to direct your own path, I'll tell you what he'll do. He'll step right aside, and he'll let you. Amen? And I'm going to tell you what, that's a formula for disaster. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Let me ask you something tonight. Is he your Shepherd, amen. Uh, I, I didn't ask if he is your savior. I didn't ask if you love Jesus. I said, is he your shepherd? Jesus himself said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They just didn't punch the clock in the foyer and make a little show once a week. There's a little more to being a Bible-believing, consecrated Christian than just checking in when it's not a conflict. Amen. That's good, because I will amen myself on occasion. I don't think I've had to do that. Amen. So, so are, is he your shepherd? Are you listening to his voice, or do you think you got it under control? I have heard Christians say, I got this. <laughs> yeah. And I just say, okay, we'll see how that goes. And it didn't go so well. I wonder how many times we, within our spirit, say that to God. The Bible says one thing. The preacher says one thing. Whoever it is that you may get advice from, they say one thing, but you don't like it. And what you're saying is, I can handle this myself. Let me tell you something tonight. God's got a way of showing you that you don't have it. 
God's got a way of showing his, his sheep that you need him a whole lot more than he needs you. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Verse 2. Psalm 23 and verse 2, he said this. He said, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Now, green pastures for a sheep is a place of nourishment, a place of rest, a place of safety. I thought to myself first, why would you have to make a sheep lie down in green pastures? You'd think they'd be happy to. But sheep, they're like Baptists. They would just get into that green pasture and eat until it was all gone, till they killed themselves. Amen. But David said, he maketh me to lie down in green pasture. For me, green pastures is a picture of coming to church. In this crazy world, and this world's getting crazier by the day, church is a, is a place to come and catch your breath. Amen. Don't worry, man. Maybe you're a little hung up on all that stuff that's going on. Don't worry. It ain't going to change by tomorrow morning. It ain't going to change. But thank God there's a place you can come and just put all that stuff aside for a little while. This is important. Amen. David said himself said in Psalm 122 and verse number 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Coming to church is a time of spiritual nourishment. All right? The Lord said in John 21, verse 12, Jesus said unto them, come and dine. I think I mentioned this the other night, but uh, Internet Church, Internet Church is like, you know, and I know we had to do it. Our church did it for a little while. And we came off the road and our church was closed down. We, had, we got shut down in Arkansas and had to go home. And... Uh, and uh, so they're going to broadcast it. And we figured out how to see that on, on our monitor. And we sit there in our, and we got the little flyer with the songs. And we're going to, her and I, we're watching church and we're singing, standing and we're singing. We're trying to do it right and get something from the message. And the first week it went pretty good. And the second week maybe it went, but I'll tell you, by the third week, I'm sitting in this big old leather lazy boy watching that thing. And I don't know how it happened, but the feet came up by themselves. And he, the preacher's preaching. And next thing I know, Mrs. Wonderful is staring at me. And I'm drooling and I'm asleep. And I'm, I was sleeping in church. And I'm so glad she didn't have her cell phone. And why do you tell people? Because, listen, I'd rather just tell them myself than have her putting it out in ladies' meetings. Is it too late? Did you already do that this week? I don't know. Amen. But uh, I'll tell you what, the next week, the next church service, man, forget that lazy boy. I brought an office chair. I got it about, about three feet from the screen. I set up a folding tray table, and I had notes out, and I got to stay awake, bless God. Amen. I wasn't in my pajamas either. <laughs> Amen. So Internet Church, it worked. It met the need, but so will McDonald's if you're starving. But I'm going to tell you what, it is not comparable. Amen. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's, maybe it's better than nothing, but if you haven't noticed, nothing isn't the only option. Christianity is open for business. Amen. Last time I was here, it was very thin. You guys had the chairs all spaced. Remember? Remember? And half of you weren't here. Half the church didn't have but man, the Spirit of God, after not being allowed to come to church for a couple of months, when they finally were able to come back, and this was my first church too after the lockdown, um, man, everybody that was here was excited to be here. Some people couldn't be. I get that. I get that. And, uh, but uh, the Spirit was good. We had, a great, we had a great meeting. Amen. So praise the Lord. I like church, man. He said there, he said, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And then it says, he leadeth me. He leadeth me. Let's just stop right there. And it's a reference to the shepherd. It's a reference to Jesus Christ. 
I'm, I'm here to tell you tonight that he is the ultimate leader. He's the ultimate leader. Now, where's Brother Thomas? Can you see me? Because I hate for you to miss out on this illustration. I'm glad you're paying attention. Amen. Watching him back there is like, reminds me of being in a visiting room at a penitentiary. Now, I'm not sure which one of us is locked up, but amen. At the officer candidate school for the United States Infantry in Fort Benning, Georgia, there's a statue. There's a statue out front, and it's a World War II combat soldier with an M1 carbine looking over his shoulder with his hand up like this with an inscription, two words, and it is, Follow me. And that's the motto of the United States Infantry Officer Corps, Follow me. Does that sound familiar? It sounds, reminds me of what Jesus Christ said to the first four disciples in Matthew chapter 4. Amen. Now, just in all fairness, at the officer candidate school for the military police in, in Fort Rucker back in, you know, a long time ago when Brother, Brother Colonel Thomas went there, a long time ago, um, they have a statue too. And, but the inscription isn't follow me. The scripture is... Assume the position, because <laughs> he's got that down pat. Amen. But I just want to say that Jesus Christ is the ultimate leader. Here, let me tell you why. A good leader would never send his men anywhere he wouldn't go himself. Now, we got people in positions of leadership uh, in the country and even in churches, and they're not good leaders for this reason right here. Uh, they're good at telling you what to do, but they don't do it themselves. And a good leader wouldn't send anybody anywhere he wouldn't go himself. And a good illustration of that, uh, in the case of our Savior, is in Mark chapter 5. And uh, when they landed there, outside that, uh, that uh, cemetery where the maniac Gadara lived, it said in verse 2 there in Mark 5, and when he was come out of the ship. Immediately, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. There are 12 apostles, 12 disciples, at that time they called them, on that boat. 12. These were men. These weren't wimps. Amen. They weren't cowards. They weren't limp-wristed, little nothing. Amen. They were men's men. That tells me that this maniac of Gadara, who was a precursor to the bike gang member, because it says in Matthew chapter 8 that he had a buddy and they were exceeding fierce. This guy must have been so scary that them other 12 guys did not get out of the ship. But that didn't face Jesus Christ. He didn't say, all right, uh, you guys go out and deal with him. He went out. I'm telling you, a leader leads from the front. Amen. Uh, West Point, uh, West Point has uh, trains army officers, and uh, it's a pres prestigious. Is, did I say it right? School. I got a chance to tour it one time, preaching down near there, and I was impressed. And uh, and uh, but then I found this out. Like colleges, people go to school basically, and and you know if I sound foolish, it's because this I don't know a lot about this, but. What I understand is that a college will go for like nine months and then there's a couple months off and then, right? Well, at West Point, those, those cadets, they don't go home for the summer. They don't go home and get a summer job. You know what they do? They go to other military specialty schools, like paratrooper school, like he did, like jungle school, like ranger school. In other words, they're in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, again, a prestigious college uh, during their nine-month course but boy, when, when summer break comes, they're out there learning how to be a follower. They're out there just like everybody else, elbow to elbow as cadets. They're not officers. They're out there doing what they're told. They're learning what it's like to be an enlisted. They teach them how to be followers so that they can be leaders. Am I saying it right out there, Brother Thomas? 
That's good. I got a thumbs up. Amen. That's good. Well, Jesus Christ was the world's greatest follower as well as the world's greatest leader. It says this in uh, John chapter 4 and verse 34, and that thing with the woman at the well, and they came back, and they came back from town with food, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, he says this, he said, Jesus said, then the my meat that is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus Christ spent 33 and a half years on this planet with his only agenda was to follow orders. You hear me? And at the end of his life, it says in Matthew uh, 26, verse 42, when he's praying there in the garden and, uh, and the guys were sleeping, he said, he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if this cup may not pass from me, he's talking about being crucified. He didn't look forward to that anymore than you and me would. If this cup may not pass through me except I drink it, you know what he said? Thy will be done. The authority that he has to direct us, he earned it the hard way by going the distance for you and I. And nobody's ever been asked to do anything close to what he did for us. That's why Romans 12 refers to presenting your body a living sacrifice is just reasonable. Verse 2, it said there, it said, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me. And then it goes on, it said, beside the still waters. Could I just say on that, let me say this, after all those wasted years of conflict and chaos, all the junk after the military, 15 years and bike gangs and in and out of jail and stuff. Could I just say at this point in my life, well, for quite a while now, I like peace. I like calm. I'm not confrontational. I don't care what my wife might tell you. I am Irish. There's To some degree, I can't help it. But, uh, boy, I like peace. I didn't even know it existed until I met the Prince of Peace. Well, I remember the day he said, peace be still, not to a storm raging on a sea, but to a storm that was raging in my spirit at the depths of the worst scenario of my life, on my way to federal prison the rest of my life. I found peace when I met the Lord. Amen. And I wasn't concerned about tomorrow. I wasn't concerned about my case. I was happy that the most important issue that there is in a human being's life and that is this where are you going to spend eternity and when that issue was settled that morning again I had no clue what I was getting into but I had peace and I liked that years ago one year we were down at Bible Baptist Church and there was five six hundred people in there and, and uh, I wasn't preaching that year I got in the pulpit up there one time when I was preaching, and I said, you know, the neatest thing about being a blowout preacher is you get reserved seats because this was back when you had to get there an hour and a half early, and that was okay when I had kids to stand in line for me, but when they finally all moved out, then her and I had, then, well, I pulled some other strings, but I won't go into that. But, uh, but uh, we're in there. We're like five rows from the back. And me and my family, so, you know, we can barely even see the platform. But, uh, but the song leader led the congregational hymn, and it was, Be Still My Soul. All right? And here I'm just back there in the mass of the multitude, and, and it was, you know, the tune, and it was real calm, and, and people's hands were, were going up, and I got a glimpse of heaven. I got a glimpse of what it's going to be like there, be up there with millions, I guess, just honoring the Lord Jesus Christ 
I'm not going to break into song. I know you're worried. Be still. And I mean, I'm standing there, the biker, you know. Tears are streaming down my face. Amen. It says, he leadeth me beside the still waters. Oh, man. Amen. Verse 23. No, chapter 23. Psalm 23, verse 3. says, he, make sure I got this right. He restoreth my soul. Now, listen, I had a good friend. As a matter of fact, it was Pastor Greg Pritchard's dad. Some of you know him. He was a really close friend of mine. He was also a convicted drug smuggler. So we hit it right off. And, uh, and, uh, and we were in church together for years. And he was a body man. He was a car guy, body man, built hot rods, all kinds of things. And uh, he kept us going in the ministry, kept vehicles going for me for years and years. And he moved from where he was to, uh, uh, to the, you know, most of us moved to the bad side of town, but we didn't realize it because it was better than the side of town we lived in when God found us. So we thought we were moving up. Now I think about that, that's a pretty rough side of town too. But uh, he, he got a body shop. He opened a body shop instead of working out of his barn. And he put a big sign on the side of the road, and it said, Resurrection Auto. And uh, one of the local TV stations, you know, got wind of that. The local Better Business Bureau sent him down there. They did an interview. And Brother Greg was kind of rough around the edges, you know, not like us. But, uh, but they said, this is very interesting. We'd like to interview you. You've got this new business in the neighborhood. Uh, how is it that you came to name it Resurrection Auto? And he starts saying, well, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. And because he rose from the dead, you know, one day I'm going to. And, and I just thought, you know, I'd try to glorify God. And these people that are giving this interview are like trying to figure out how to shut it off. And that went out in like 400,000 homes. And he just bragged. He said, he said, ah. Uh, I, I, I restore cars. People bring me old cars and, or wrecks, and, and I restore them, and, and that's what Jesus Christ. I try to bring them back to their original state, and that's what Jesus Christ does. It says he restores my soul. You know what he does? He, he'll bring you back to your original state. So what do you mean? Well, the soul started out residing in the flesh, but not attached to it. Then sin entered, right? And now they're inseparable outside of, well, what's referred to as the circumcision made without hands. When a person gets saved, their soul gets cut loose from that stinking flesh again. And when that body goes into the ground, the soul doesn't. The soul goes out, says to be present with the Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. So, so he called it, Resurrection auto because he restored cars and Jesus Christ restored him. And David gave uh, uh, glory to God here when he's bragging about his shepherd. He said, he restoreth my soul. Are you saved? Well, then uh, your sin not going to drag you to hell. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. But I want you to be mindful of this. Sin is still ever present for us even. Bible says this in James chapter 1 and verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. And sadly, we're not immune from that as long as we're in this flesh. But I am happy to report lust uh, does not have to conceive and bring forth sin. Uh, there's a way to keep it from finishing. Uh, it's called repentance. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Now, you know, somebody, you might not forgive somebody. Somebody might not forgive you. But God will because he said he would. Now, let me tell you something else. God knows if you're being sincere or not, too. 
So it's not just, uh, oh, well, I did this, and I, oh, I'm, I'm, I confess it, and, and you go do it again, I'll just confess. No, God doesn't, isn't playing games. But boy, if you're sincere, he'll keep his word every time. All right? Verse, uh, verse uh, we're in verse 3 still. <clears throat> we're only getting to verse 3. It said, He leadeth me. There he is leading again. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. So he leads not only beside the still waters, but in the paths of righteousness. And listen, here's something we all know. There are plenty other paths. The world, the flesh, and the devil will all lead you down paths. But they won't be the paths of righteousness, will Proverbs chapter 2 and 13 says, Who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, whose ways are crooked, and they forward in their paths. Oh, man, I was, uh, I was on that route for a long time. Amen. I know that that's true. But uh, uh, Jesus Christ will lead in the paths of righteousness. It says in verse 8, uh, of Proverbs 2, he keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints, that thou then shalt thou understand righteousness, judgment, and equity, yea, every good path. So the closer you stick to him, the better your odds are of being on the right track. And you can be saved and get off track. We've seen it over and over. So, if he's leading, he, he is. It, uh, uh, he's leading in the paths of righteousness, which means if you're following him, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. If you're following him, you'll always be heading in the right direction. And again, the reality of the world, the flesh and the devil are definitely there. And some days you may get, uh, you may not make as good a progress as other days. Sometimes you just might get stopped dead in your tracks. But if you're following him, you'll always be heading the right way. You'll always be facing the right way. You can always get it going again. But boy, don't you let nothing turn you. Don't let nothing take you off the paths of righteousness. Because if something does, it won't be him. Now, Verse 20, chapter 20, Psalm 23, I don't know what my deal is. Verse 3, again, He restores my soul, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Now here's what we're going to finish with. For His name's sake. Take your Bible, go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 2. John writing, and he says, Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things he saw. Look down at verse 9. Revelation chapter 1, down in verse 9. I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, look what it says, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you something. He was exiled to the isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Patmos is a type of this world. And we're here still for the exact same reason. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I want you to consider something that's real heavy. When he left, he left his test, his impeccable, Perfect testimony in your hands if you're saved. That ought to be just a little overwhelming at times. When it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 
Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. Beloved, we, we are ambassadors for Christ. You know, ambassadors like the United Nations, for example, have diplomatic immunity. I'm against that. There are a bunch of them are a bunch of crooks. Amen. Maybe all of them. I don't know. But I'm happy to report that as a child of God, I've got diplomatic immunity. Say, so what do you mean? I'm fireproof. Are you saved? Think about it. Amen. It says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, Wherefore God hath God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And I'm here. I want to leave you with this week. Uh, uh, this message after this week of church that the name that is above every name is represented down here by you and I. That's kind of mind-boggling if you ask me. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator, the righteous judge. And that list goes on and on. Left you and I here in his stead to represent him to a lost and dying world. That is a bigger deal than many of us give it credit to be. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 43 and verse 10 said this, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen. You know, we preach, I mean, I got many messages where we emphasize the importance of maintaining your testimony as a child of God. Buddy, it gets more serious than that. You've been left with the responsibility of keeping the testimony of Jesus Christ clean and pure so that it can do what it did for you and what it can still do for others. I have my hands full of my testimony. And then I read that. I went, oh, no. Amen. So, recap this little message tonight, this finale. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Is he your shepherd? I mean, or, or are you like the one that caused the shepherd to leave the 90 and 9 and go off and find him in a place he was never supposed to be when he wandered away from the flock. You know what I've seen traveling around? Every church has got their drama junkies. What do you mean? People that just thrive on attention and they take a disproportionate amount of the shepherd, local shepherd's attention because they've always got some kind of issue. Let me tell you something. You're a distraction from the work of Jesus Christ, if that's you. Amen. He needs to be your shepherd, and you need to follow him. Hear his voice and follow him. Hey, I've got real quiet, finally. And tell you something, if he's leading, you'll always be heading in the right direction. So, if you're not heading in the right direction, it's real simple, friend. It's because he's not leading. You're directing your own path. That's not going to work out good for you, hot shot. Boy, would I like to encourage you to get that thing straightened out, turned around, and submitted to the leadership of the great, again, the greatest leader there ever was. And that'd be a good thing to get accomplished during the course of six days in church. The testimony of Jesus Christ is in your hands if you're saved. That's a tremendous responsibility. And let me tell you something, remembering that, 
helps me keep this stinking flesh under control. And I got news for you. I fight battles you don't want to know about. And I know I'm not the only one. But remembering who he is helps me keep that thing down. Amen. Amen. And hanging around the right people that are trying to do the same thing. That's important. So let's stand and let me just say this. It's time to do business with God. Now we've been preaching here, what is this? Seven, the seventh message. And I've done my best. I don't get briefed. Amen. I've done my best to ask the Lord what it is to bring, to be a help. I don't have an agenda I don't have the answer to straightening out God's people. My hands are full with me. (laughs) But I've tried to bring what God would have for you to respond to, for you to be closer to him by this night than you were at the beginning of the meeting. And I hope that's the case. So let me just say, if the Lord dealt with you anything, about anything this night or in the course of this week be a good time to act on it right now amen that's all I can say you're in here tonight and you're not saved you have a bigger issue to deal with (laughs) if you die in your current condition you're end up right in the devil's hell that's what the bible says Say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, I I believe the Bible, so if you don't agree with that, I'd have to say with all the kindness I can muster, friend, you're wrong. And you're gambling with something you can't afford. This isn't my opinion. This isn't what I think. I'm not a religious person. The Bible says Jesus Christ went to the cross to make a way for our sins to be forgiven because our sins were going to take us to hell. You're in here and you don't have the confidence that you'll not end up in that place. You can have it. And it isn't because of anything I can say. It's because of what the Bible said. We'd help you with that in any way we can. So if that's you, you listen to what the preacher says. You sing the song if your heart's clear. But I don't know how much time we got left. You know, I hesitate to book a meeting two years out because I really hope the Lord comes back. One of these days, he's going to. Until then, I need all this I can get, and so do you, to keep our hearts fixed on the main thing. What page? 406. 406.